you have your Bible, take them and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter number 1 and 2. Again, it is Mother's Day, as you all know. Uh, I am very thankful to be here. We thought it was a curse on myself the past couple years, but uh, thankfully I am here today, and I know my wife is appreciative of that as well. Uh, but I have a message that I was actually wanting to preach last year. It just didn't work out. But it's, it's from 1 Samuel chapter 1 and, and chapter 2, and it's, it's Mother's Day specific, but it's really not just for mothers. It's for all of us. There's so many applications that we gain from this story, the story of Hannah and Samuel. And I'm really excited to preach this this morning. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll be starting a new series, Commission, over the next uh, several weeks, uh, the series uh, from the book of Acts. So be ready for that. But 1 Samuel chapter number 1 and chapter number two is where we're going to be. And if you want to give this, this message a title, I don't have notes again just because we're outside and a little bit different. You can take notes. I, I encourage you to do that if you'd like to. Uh, but if you want to give a title of this message, it's this. When things don't get better. You ever had you know one of those days, those weeks, those months when you just felt like things just don't get better? Anyone? It's like 2020, right? Uh, I think a lot of us feel like we have those days, those weeks, those months, those years where things do not get better. And that's kind of what the case was for Hannah. Hannah, as many of us might know, might understand the story, she wanted a child. She desperately wanted a child. But God had shut her up that she was not able to have children. And it discouraged her because especially in Bible times with the children of Israel, Children were a very important thing for a mother and a family. They brought significance. They brought hope. They brought life. Um, they were um, kind of a source of income. There was a lot of things that helped with having children. You know, we, don't, we still place a lot of stock on children today, but not as much as was a couple thousand years ago and in biblical times. So she wanted a child. She desperately wanted a child but she was not able to have a child. And as we open up 1 Samuel this morning, we open up with the period of the judges. There is no great turmoil and confusion. Israel was vulnerable to the attack of their enemies. Morals had been thrown out the window. Religion had grown cold. There was a religious degeneracy and political distress. The nation needed a man to rise up and take the leadership after the death of Samson. The, the country was divided and leaderless. The nation was weak and impotent. Even the, the religious leaders were not the right religious leaders because there were problems in, in uh, the priest Eli and his own family with his, his children. There was a lot of just uh, wickedness going on in the preacher's home. It was just a, a, a horrible time. And if, his, if, if it wasn't bad enough, 1 Samuel 3, 1 says, And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Now, that word precious isn't what we might think of it with that word. What that word means from many of the commentaries that I've read and studied, it basically means rare. The word of God was rare in those days. God's word wasn't necessarily going out, wasn't necessarily being preached and proclaimed. So we have to understand the significance of what is going on. There was no prophet that was publicly preaching and proclaiming the truth. And the first person, as we get to 1 Samuel chapter 1, that we're introduced is a man by the name of Elkanah. Let me go ahead and start reading. The Bible says, Now there was a certain man of Ramah 
or uh, Ramath, whatever the word is, uh, of Mount Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, and the son of Zuth, and Ephronite. And he had two wives. Now, that's a problem right there. That could be another message in and of itself, but we're not going to preach that this morning. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters' portions. So every year he went to Shiloh, which was the religious center of Israel. He went to worship. He went to make sacrifices to God on behalf of himself and behalf of his family. And when they sacrificed the meat that they would sacrifice, a lot of times they would have a kind of a sacrificial meal in place. Verse 5, But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Let me go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, again, I pray that you'd be with us for the next few minutes as we study your word and focus on this very important message, not just for Mother's Day, but Lord, something for all of us, something that all of us can get and glean from. And Lord, again, I'm thankful for the ones that are here today. I'm thankful for the ones that are watching online. And Lord, we're praying that things do get better in our country, in our world. And Lord, whether they do or not, we know that you're still in control. You're still on the throne, and we are thankful, so thankful for that. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us for the next few minutes. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You know, one of the first things that we notice about Hannah is that she is barren. She couldn't have kids. She tried everything, but to no avail. She was empty. Barrenness basically means unfruitful or unproductive. Barrenness is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. Again, we don't put as much stock today in some cultures on having kids and the significance of kids as they did in Bible times. But just imagine if you were Hannah in this situation from her perspective. In a culture that puts all of a woman's significance on having children, how do you think she must have felt by not having kids? She didn't feel too good. She felt insignificant at best. From her standpoint, she was insignificant. She had no life. She had no hope. And to make matters wor worse, her husband, the second wife that he had, Peninnah, had a lot of kids. She just kept having kids. And Peninnah just kept rubbing it in to Hannah's face. Now, the name Hannah means woman of grace. And what we know about her from this story is that she manifested a great deal of grace, even though she was socially disgraced in her life. Now, the story of Hannah is one that many of us can relate to this morning, I believe. You see, maybe you're in a difficult situation, yet despite your persistent prayers, despite you continually pleading to God, begging to God, things don't seem to get better. You ever been there? I think many of us have. And this is where we find Hannah. She's in a situation where Every year she's been going to the temple. She's been going to, to worship the Lord, to make sacrifices with her husband, with her family. And I, 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 we don't know how long this has lasted. Maybe this has been a couple years. Maybe this has been many, many years. We don't know. 
But every year she's been going and she's been praying and pleading with God for kids and things just don't seem to get better. You know, not only did Hannah bear her own internal shame and pain, but Peninnah, the Bible says in verse number six, her adversary also provoked her sore, which means she basically bitterly irritated her. Hannah's rival was rubbing it in her face on a constant basis. I read that the word provoke comes from the Hebrew word that literally means to thunder or roar like a storm. So that's what Peninnah was doing. She was, in a sense, thundering or roaring like a storm with all of her criticism towards Hannah, all of her attacking. And imagine that day after day after day. No one likes being attacked, right? No one likes being criticized. No one likes being mocked and made fun of. And especially in this situation with Hannah, the adversary, the other woman, the other wife, is just rubbing it in her face on a consistent basis. And that, that word to thunder, to roar like a storm, it's, it's the word or the type of picture of being caught in a storm, kind of like a hurricane. So not only is Hannah barren, but she is also broken. Skip down to verse number 10. The Bible says, And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. Bitterness of soul. She was just heartbroken over the situation of not being able to have children. Every year she prayed to God, and it seemed like nothing changed. Her situation did not change. Now back in verse number 8, we're going to kind of walk through this passage this morning. Verse number 8, Elkanah tried his best to comfort his wife, but as many husbands know and many men know, it's a difficult thing to comfort your wife, isn't it? It's a very difficult thing to comfort your wife. So he is trying to comfort his wife, but to no avail. Look at verse number eight. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why are you crying? And why eatest thou not? Hey, I've given you a hefty portion of food. Why aren't you eating? Why aren't you taking part in this worship with us? Why is thy heart grieved? And then this statement in, in verse number eight, am not I better to thee than 10 sons? You know, he's trying to be encouraging, but you know, this is not the encouraging thing to say. I think many men have, have done things like this where you've said things that in your mind was encouraging. And as soon as it came out of your mouth, you're like, why did I say that? Right? we got a couple honest men. Very good. I've done that like countless times on a daily basis usually. But he's saying this, hey, am I not better than 10 sons? Look, I love you. It's, it's okay. But again, in this culture, in this situation, the, the women place their significance on having children. So I'm sure in Hannah's mind, she's thinking, well, what if it comes to the point where my husband just stops loving me because I can't produce and I can't give him children? And in that culture, it was okay for the husband to say, you know what? I don't really like my wife. She's not really giving me what I need. I'm just going to divorce her. So I'm sure that's in her mind as she's thinking of this. So Elkanah is trying to, to lift her spirits, but Hannah wanted nothing to do with it. Now, back in verse number five, kind of is funny. The Bible says, but unto Hannah, again, this is when they're worshiping together and eating this meal together. But unto Hannah, he gave a worthy portion for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So here they are, they're eating together and they're getting all the meat that they had sacrificed and having this meal. And 
And Elkanah had given it to Peninnah and to her kids. And then to Hannah, he basically gives a hefty portion, a double portion, a worthy portion of food. So he's trying to show her, her lo- or his love towards her. And it's, it's kind of funny. One of the commentaries I was reading, it's, it's kind of making a point that, you know, imagine today that a man or a husband says, you know what, honey, I love you. Here's a double helping of mashed potatoes. Right? I mean... <laughs> What woman wouldn't think your husband loves you if, hey, here's some more macaroni and cheese. Here's some more whatever. I'm just going to give you a lot more food. That shows you that I love you. It's just funny. It's comical. We can laugh. It's okay. I I don't know if my wife would, you know, be okay with that. Hey, babe, I love you, so here's a lot more food. You can have all my food. That's how much I love you. But anyway, Hannah is devastated because she is barren. She is broken. She is being constantly ridiculed. Things are not getting better for her. And the question I want to ask this morning, is, as all of this has been way of introduction, is this. What do you do when things do not get better? Every year she's been praying and seeking God, wanting a child, and God had shut up her womb. She is not able to have kids. What do you do when things don't get better? I think the turning point in this narrative, for me, I believe, is found in verse number 9. Look there. The Bible says, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh. What this means is she got up. She made an active decision that she was not going to stay in her bitterness. She was not going to stay devastated. From the Hebrew, we understand the significance here. This was a decisive action from Hannah. She stood up resolved to make a choice. Listen to me. She resolved in her heart, in her mind, that she was going to make a choice that day. It's very easy to let our emotions get the best of us, isn't it? It's very easy when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed out, when we're worried, to let it overtake us. We kind of mentioned that briefly last week with this quarantine time. It's very easy for us to not focus on God, to focus on our situation, to focus on our circumstances. But here we see, we don't know how long Hannah's been coming to the temple. We don't know how long she's been coming to worship God at this temple on a year-after-year basis and praying to God. But finally, one year, she said, enough is enough. I'm going to make an active decision. I'm going to do something about this. And what happens next is Hannah vows a vow to God. Now, this is important. It is important when we vow a vow to God, when we make a promise to God, that we actually fulfill that vow, fulfill that promise. But I've seen it many times in my life, and I don't think this is reaching, but I dare say the majority of people that ever make vows to, vow, vows to God don't actually keep them. That make promises to God don't actually keep them. And sometimes, honestly, people don't even think intend to keep them. And we have to understand that it's a very serious thing when we vow something to God, when we promise something to God. God holds us up and he expects us to do what we are saying we're going to do. We've all been there. God, if you just get me through this situation, I will do this. I will give this. I will whatever. And maybe for a while we do that, but then there comes a time where we stop doing that. We've been there. You've been there. So she makes this vow to God, verse number 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then 
I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. So this wasn't just a dedication prayer. This wasn't, Lord, hey, give me a son. You know, I'm going to dedicate him to you. No, Lord, if you, this is significant. Lord, if you give me a child, I am going to give him back to you for your service. She's making this Nazarite vow. She is willingly, if God were to grant her request and God were to give her a child, to give her a son, then she is going to send her son to the temple. After he's probably three or four years old, after he's been weaned and ready to go and ready to be trained, he is, she is going to willingly give up her child. Now, that, that's, that's serious. She's never had children that's her significance. That's her livelihood. And she says, God, if you give me a child, I'm giving him back to you. The narrative continues, verse number 12. And it came to pass that she continued praying before the Lord. That Eli marked her mouth. He's the priest. Verse number 13. Now, Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved. So she is pouring out her heart to God, but she's not necessarily saying anything with her mouth verbally or physically so people can hear her. We've been there probably where you've been praying and, and you're, you're moving your lips, but yet the, the words aren't coming out and it's, it's coming from your heart. And that's kind of what's going on here. Verse number 13, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. It's pretty funny. He thought she was drunk because nothing was coming out of her mouth. Verse number 14, and Eli said unto her, how long will thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And then I love verse number 15. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. So Eli the priest is saying, Hey, are you drunk? She's like, No, I'm just praying. I'm not drunk. Now, I've never been accused of that, but it is kind of comical. The priest said, Hey, why are you drinking? Why, why are you drunk? I'm not drunk. I'm just praying. I'm pouring out my heart to God. Maybe you don't find amusement in that, but I do. Anyway, it's, it's an awesome fact, though, humanly speaking, as Hannah is pouring out her heart to God, as she is praying to God, that the future of the nation of Israel rested with this godly woman's prayers. And you think about it, how much of history has rested on the prayers of suffering and sacrificing people, especially mothers? You know, mothers are very important, perhaps the most powerful and influential force on the face of the earth. There's an old South African proverb that says, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the nation and its destiny. A mother's love is special and unique, but a mother's duty to raise a child to follow and serve God is just as important. And there are so many very, very, very powerful applications in this story. But there's two primary ones that I want to hit on this morning for the next couple of minutes. I would love someday to kind of go back through and look at some more of these in depth, but the very first thing I want us to focus on is this. Hannah went to Shiloh. Hannah went to Shiloh. Again, Shiloh is the religious center of Israel. Every year, Hannah went with her husband and the, the family. They made that yearly trip to sacrifice the Lord. And most likely, this was probably her saddest day of the year. Because as, as they're sacrificing, as she's worshiping God, all she's remembering is things are not getting better for her. She worshiped the Lord, even though her persistent problem worried her and distressed her. 
And I suspect that many of us have been in a position like this as well. The problem wasn't, listen, the problem wasn't that the situation got worse. The problem for Hannah is that nothing changed year after year. Every year, praying to God. Every year, asking for a child. Every year, nothing happened. But the story of Hannah is so powerful. Listen to me. Even though her situation did not change, even though her situation did not change, she still put her hope and trust in God. Did you hear that? Even though the situation, the circumstances around her did not change the way she wanted them to, she still put her hope and trust in God. And it's not enough to say, I have hope and trust in God. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it, to believe it, to act it out. You see, the point of this story is that Hannah persevered year after year after year, overcoming her worries through both prayer and worship. God knew her pain. His silence must not be perceived as inattentiveness or lack of involvement. And what a powerful testimony this prayer of Hannah is. You see, Hannah's prayer was born out of sorrow and suffering. It was a prayer that involved submission to God first and foremost. Hannah's faith and devotion were so strong that they rose above the misunderstanding and criticism of even the nation's highest religious leader that thought she was drunk. No, I'm not. I'm just praying to God. Now put yourself in this situation. Maybe there are things in your life that you're praying to God about and you're trying to have the best attitude about, but God isn't giving you what you're asking for. He's not doing what you're wanting him to do. Maybe there are things that you even do for God that you don't have the best attitude about. And honestly, I think that would be many of us. Your heart isn't really in it. You kind of do it begrudgingly. You can't wait to get it over with, to kind of check it off your list. You know, our initial response might be, you know what, before you come and worship God and honor God, you got to get everything cleaned up first. But if that was the reality, then most of us would never even make it halfway to Shiloh. Stay with me here. You see, half the battle of the Christian life and the Christian walk is showing up for the task. If we can just get into God's presence, even with our downcast hearts and bitter thoughts, God can change us from the inside out. And this is where it gets good this morning. This is what I want you to see. This is what Hannah did year after year after year. I said the point was Hannah went to Shiloh. You see, Hannah showed up. She didn't wait to get cleaned up to enter in the tabernacle. She entered broken and barren and bitter, resentful, unhappy, defeated. As many of us probably enter week after week after week. But Hannah decided that this year something was going to change. She was going to change. She decided that enough was enough. She decided to focus on something other than herself. She decided to focus not on her unchanging circumstances, but on God. Skip down to verse number 18. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Now, this is very important. Here she is praying and pouring out her heart to God. 
And as she's praying and pouring out her heart to God, as she's been in God's presence and worshiping him, all of a sudden her countenance is no more sad. It's no more bitter. It's no more distressed. Now, we, we think a situation like this, we think this is what would happen. She goes, she prays to God. She finds out she's going to get pregnant, and then she's happy. Then she's joyful. But that's not what happened. She went, she prayed to God. Then she got joyful. Then she found out she was pregnant. That's opposite of maybe how we would act or react even in our culture. She didn't know she was having a baby. You see, listen, this is, it's, it's getting good. Instead of standing in the outer courts of praise before the throne of God, Hannah did something that brought her into the inner courtyard of God, into his presence. She prayed to God, and listen, her relationship with God went from the possible to the personal, from the inactive to the active, from the nominal to the phenomenal. That's good, church. Her relationship with God, let me say it again, because I obviously only I'm excited today. Her relationship with God went from the possible to the personal, from the inactive to the active, from the nominal to the phenomenal. And verse 19 is important. The Bible says, And they rose up early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to the house of Raman, Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her, remembered what she had prayed to God. You know, the reason this is so important is because back in verse number six, we already saw that it was God that shut up her womb. God was the one that said, hey, you can't have kids. Now, this is, this is good as well. If God can cause a problem, listen, then only God can fix a problem. Let me say that again. If God can cause a problem, then only God can fix a problem. Think of the problem that you're in today. I don't know what you're struggling with personally. You might have a lot of inner demons, so to speak, that you are dealing with, things that are just bringing turmoil in your life, things that you're just not really sure what's going on. You see, what, it, what is important here is not necessarily how she came. Listen, it's how she left. And the point I made is that Hannah went to Shiloh. Every year she went, even though she was broken, even though she was distressed, even though she was just sorrowful and, and just in pain, agonizing pain, she went. You know, what's important to me is not so much how you come to church. Well, I came in a car, I came in a truck, I came in whatever. That's not what I'm saying. Again, I don't know the struggles you're going through on a personal level. I'm glad you came, but more importantly, I don't care as much how you come. I care how you leave. And I guess the question that we have to ask ourselves, not just today, but every week, every time we come into God's presence, every time the word of the Lord is open to us, how will you leave Shiloh? Because the reality is many people come and leave no different than they came. Well, that message was someone else. They really needed to hear that. Look, the message of the Lord is for all of us. The application is so true, so powerful for all of us today. So it's not so much, it is important that you come. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's very important that you come. But it's so much more important how you leave. And the first time that Hannah left Shiloh, she left rejoicing. 
not knowing if God is going to grant her request or not, but rejoicing because she had been in the presence of God. She had spent time with God, and God had granted her request. In verses 24 through 28, we're not going to read them for sake of time, but she was able to have a child, have Samuel, to wean that child for probably a good three years, if not more. And then there came a time where she had to bring that child back to the Lord. You see, she didn't just make a vow. She didn't lose sight of her vow. She remembered that she made a vow with God. God fulfilled it, so she's going to fulfill it on her end. Maybe Eli remembered, maybe he didn't. But then she brings the child back to the Lord. And that's, that's an act of faith right there because, again, the religious sender was not a very good place to live. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked to the core. These were the children of the high priests of the land. They were wicked to the core. And she is actively knowing this, giving up her son to live in this situation. But the narrative is not over and we're almost done. You see, it's important that Hannah went to Shiloh and we see that she, reject, she left with rejoicing. But let's continue in verse number one of chapter two. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord's. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. She again, she starts praying and singing this song to God. So we see that Hannah came to Shiloh. But then what we see next is this. Hannah left Shiloh singing. She left Shiloh singing with a tremendous song of praise. Praise is important. We talked about praise briefly last week. How praise frames prayer when promises are perplexing. And Hannah could have left more sorrowful, knowing that she is giving up her child back to God, that she is not going to take care of this child, that someone else is going to take care of her child. But as she prays to God, as she sings praises to God, she is singing praises of who God is, that he is holy. He is a rock. He is full of knowledge. He brings death. He gives life. He brings poverty. He gives wealth. He guards the steps of the faithful ones. And this is important because this song of praise should be in every believer's life. Before Jesus went to the cross, when he was in the garden, he sang with his disciples. When Paul and Silas were imprisoned, were beaten, you know what they did? They sang in the prison cell. They sang praises to God over and over in scriptures. In the book of Psalms, we see that David is continually praising God in the midst of his circumstances. That's important, church. Even with his circumstances bad and messed up and not changing, he is still praising God. And Hannah and Elkanah, are leaving their son in Shiloh. They return to Ramah with joyful hearts and great expectations of what the Lord would do. And what a wonderful thing it is when a husband and wife are so dedicated to the Lord, worship him together, pray together, and trust his word. You see, Hannah went to the place of the Lord, the place of worship with a broken heart, but the Lord gave her peace because she prayed and submitted to his will. And she had trusted in God. Read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Look, if there is something specific in your life that you're worried about this morning, then I want you to consider going to the Lord and willingly giving it up to him.
Because I dare say that every single one of us has that inner turmoil, the inner demon, the thing that we were just fighting with, that we were wrestling with, that, well, if this changed, then everything would be better. Well, if I was here, then things would be better. Well, why don't you just give it over to God? Why don't you just say, God, here it is. And maybe you have to do that continuously. Maybe consistently you have to give it over to God. It's that giving up control thing, right? But if there's something specific that you're worried about, go back to God willingly. Give it over to him. Oftentimes, listen, I'm almost done. God is waiting for you to trust before he will move. It is far more important to God that you fulfill his purpose than he fulfill your whim. And many times we want God to fulfill our whims when he is trying to fulfill his purposes in our lives. And here's the climax of the whole message. You ready? The world does not understand the relationship between sacrifice and song. They don't understand how God's people can sing their way into sacrifice and sacrifice their way into singing. Let me say that again in case you didn't get it and understand the context of that. The world does not understand the relationship between sacrifice and song. How God's people can sing their way into sacrifice and sacrifice their way into singing. And that's what we see here. Hannah's prayer, Hannah's song, as she is willingly giving back her child to God. And I dare say many of us would probably say, I'm not going to do that. I would never do that. God's not necessarily asking you to do that, but what a powerful testimony of praise that God, I am relinquishing control of my child to someone that I don't know if he's going to raise in the right way. All the wickedness that is going around, the circumstances, I'm praying for a child. You gave me a child. Now I'm giving it back to you. But you know what? I'm going to sing praises to you for who you are, for what you've done. What do you do when things don't get better? Here's what I want to leave you with this morning. I want to encourage you with the simple truth. Go to God. Pour your heart out to God. And leave his presence singing. You see, sadly, many of us go to God, but then we don't leave his presence singing because he didn't give us the request that we wanted. But again, this situation with Hannah, back to verse number 18 and 19, before she ever knew she was going to have a child, she left rejoicing. Her countenance wasn't sad anymore. And that's where we must get to this morning, church. The fact that I'm going to go to God in the midst of my circumstances, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my struggles, and I'm going to give to God my problem. And then I'm going to rejoice in the fact that God is in control, that God is sovereign. And then I'm going to sing his praises and not my own.